welcome to the Preparatory Podcast. My name's Sam Jordison, and I'm accompanied by a few of my friends. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Andrew Smith. Jason Kane. Josh Pedersen. Hmm. Oh, boy. Well, we want to shout out Josh for our good intro. Very good impersonation of everything that goes on here every week. Um, we have a very... Good podcast, we think, for you today. We are starting off in 2 Nephi chapter 7. If you've been following along, you know that we've been going through chapter by chapter in the Book of Mormon. Just kind of talking about the things that God's been doing for these these Nephites and in the future, the Lamanites, too. So we're excited because this is our first guest appearance. Yeah. I don't know if appearance is the right word because it's a podcast, but I did get dressed up for it. That's so, true. Uh, he looks very dapper. <laughs> very, very. Oh, yeah. Um, but we are very excited because he's going to have some different perspectives than than you've heard 80 times already if you've listened to every episode. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Starting off, let's just set the stage, I guess. Where'd we leave off last time, Andrew? Well, last we left off in chapter six. <laughs> this is true. Andrew always has the best recall of the last chapter. So. All right, Jason, where do we leave? In a few short sentences, sum up this chapter and what we listened or read last week. Well, last week we talked about some grace and resurrection stuff. And yeah, Jacob was talking about that to his people after quoting Isaiah. It was a really good introduction to what we're about to talk about today. Uh, We'll jump into some deeper topics, but uh, what he covered in the last one was um, a lot of the intro to salvation and uh, grace, which we'll cover today. And I'm I'm sorry, I did something wrong. I think before we should have even jumped into the scriptures, we should have let Josh introduce himself and tell us a little bit about where he's from and his story and if you know take however long you like but and maybe a a humorous anecdote yeah no i've got a joke prepared i've been thinking about this for a while and when i was getting ready to come here today i actually stopped by a restaurant because i was a little hungry i just left work and i sat down and there's something on the menu and it really piqued my attention it's called the clown sandwich Honestly, this has got to be great. Maybe it's got, you know, like tomatoes, onions, lettuce, or whatever, something that just looks tremendous. And I got two or three bites into it, and I just, I could not finish the sandwich. It just tasted funny. That's, uh, that's about as far as that one goes. Oh, yeah. Gotta love that. I don't know. I laughed way too hard when I heard that for the first time. It might indicate who I am as a person. But as Sam mentioned earlier, my name is Josh Pedersen. Um, I'm uh, 26 years old. I attend St. Haven Restoration Branch, went to CPRS from ninth grade till 12th grade. Uh, married to Jasmine Pedersen, formerly Galusha, uh, which is pretty cool. We've been married for just over four years. <laughs> uh, I'm really bad with dates and uh, important dates in my life. So I said to double check the watch on that one. <laughs> um, I've been, I was ordained a priest, but and at outreach restoration branch a long time ago. It's, oh, that's like almost seven years ago, roughly. That feels really weird. Been in the service a long time. Then. Yeah. It, uh, the change between, uh, then and now is pretty stark for me. Just looking back at where I was 
and I think this is the same for most guys, but the, the years after high school just feel like decades in terms of emotional maturity and like what you can do and say and have the thoughts that aren't destructive only. Um, so that was pretty crazy. Well, we want to ask again, before we jump into, you know, the written word, we want to ask you, I think lately and, and I don't know how much you want to expound on this and we don't mean to put you on the spot either, but what the Lord has been teaching you lately or what's been something that you're passionate about right now. And do you have anything that comes to mind when it's like, what's God teaching you or what, what are you interested in right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, for me, the Lord always has very interesting object lessons. Typically most of them are centered around patience, unfortunately, because I, don't do a good enough job at that. So patience um, is something that I find myself not having enough of. And that includes with the things in my life as well as the people. And uh, something that the Lord has really been pressing on me, like it seems like every time I prepare a sermon, there's less and less notes he gives me. And it's more and more Here's like four scriptures and talk. And so I, I typically find myself listening to the sermon the same as everybody else. <laughs> and the last few have centered around the spirit of contention and being patient with one another and finding the right way to combat that spirit and how to have meaningful relationships with the saints in a way of getting to know each other and getting to know why we do the things we do, why we act the way we act in an effort to become more united, to become more more of a community that I think we've kind of post split have lost a little bit of the sense of that restoration RLDS community. And the Lord at least makes me excited at the thought of having that again and uh, the practical ways to do that. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have you and you can you know, feel free to share any testimonies you have or experiences or, you know, just insights you have um, as we continue on. Cause I think what we've learned, especially just in our study of the scripture so far, is that it's important to be able to apply it in our own lives. And like we can read scriptures all the time. We could read this, the Book of Mormon three times through. But if we never learn, you know, hey, how's this fit in somewhere in our own practical life, then uh, we'll never we'll never really get anything from it. So <laughs> sorry, that was my ringtone. Um <laughs> So jumping off into chapter seven, Jacob is uh, he ended his sermon last uh, last week in chapter six. He ended it with amen. Um, and so this is an, a new sermon and we're going to skip over things pretty quickly here because we have a topic that um, or a word here in the chapter that we thought would be a hot topic and a good discussion that we could talk about for for a while. So just setting the stage, uh, Jacob is preaching again to the people. And he's giving them the name of Jesus Christ and who Christ is. Um, he says that um, an angel spoke to him and said that Christ is his name and, and he's going to come and he's going to come to the, the people in Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified. And because of that, it's actually all for the people's benefit. Um, God had that planned into the equation when he set the stage for eternity. And with that, the covenant is still there for the Jews, even though they killed their God, you know, and, and the covenant is still with the remnant of the Jews, the Lamanites and the Nephites today. So um, I'm going to, we're going to skip all the way down to verse 40 because Andrew had something he wanted to mention before we dive into the rest of our episode. You know, and, and this is just a good continuation and I love how um, this ties into what we talked about last chapter. Um, 
in terms of salvation. And verse 40 says, therefore, cheer up your hearts and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves, to choose the ways of everlasting death or the way of everlasting life. And I just liked um, how plain can you get with with this subject, you know, um, there are a lot of people in all walks of life, all different religions that'll say, this is how salvation is. And this is how you get to where you want to be and blah, 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 blah. And it's a hundred step process in which you have to go do this and go do this and go do this. And, uh, I just love how plainly it is. And, God just says, I'm like, if you want to end up there, you're going to be that person. You're going to, you're going to be that person that does the right things. And so, um, just like we said last time, if you are a celestial person of, uh, of celestial quality, then you're going to end up there and you're going to be happy where you are. If you are a person of terrestrial quality, then you are going to end up there and you're going to be happy where you are. And there is going to be no one who gets assigned to their glory, I guess, for back, uh, lack of a better term. And they sit back and they're like, oh, shucks, I just got stuck with a, a bad deal. And now I have to spend eternity not happy. No, this is exactly where people want to be in it. And this is just so plain to say. I, I like how it all wraps together. Um, Jason, did you have any? Well, just a similar verse is verse 25 of it just saying, for they who are not for me are against me, saith our God. Um, And it's basically a choice to be for our Lord. And uh, it's definitely the right side to be on because it also says um, in 23, he that fighteth against Zion, both Jew and Gentile, both bond and free, both male and female shall perish. So you want to be on the right side of that. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Also gives me some um, faint uh, memory of Anakin and Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Although it's God talking, so I feel like he's a little bit more reliable, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> we tied Toy Story in one episode so with the Celestial Law, and now we're right, tying now we're Star Wars. Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Yep. Um, Got to do it. The verse that I think we're going to focus on for or the verses for this episode. um, And I asked Josh before he came on the first thing I texted him. um, Well, actually, I'll read the verse first and then I'll I'll tell you what I texted him. Um, We're starting in verse 42. And remember, after ye are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Wherefore, may God raise you from death by the power of the resurrection and also from everlasting death by the power of the atonement, that ye may be received into the eternal kingdom of God, that ye may praise him through grace divine. Amen. And so the first text I sent Josh about being on our episode was, what do you know about grace? <laughs> what, do you, what do you got for me? And not necessarily what do you got for me, but what's your understanding of grace? Maybe, and I know you did some research too, so maybe what was your understanding with grace before, if, if something's changed or maybe something hasn't changed and you just have been smart your whole life, but well, <laughs> I'll turn it over to you. And in that regard, what, what did grace mean to you? So grace is always 
been, in my opinion, a bit of an abstract concept. Like it's, it's hard for us to grasp the totality of what actual grace means with the gospel. We can look at grace like, oh, they were very gracious with me, or I'm poised with grace or whatever. And you look at that and you think the world's definition of grace is, it's to me a lot easier to grasp. But when you get into godly grace, the implications of what that means and what it well, really means on a daily basis for us, as well as it, and a measure of eternity is huge. And it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that like, I did nothing to deserve this. I can't earn it. It was just given to me. But before that was kind of roughly my understanding where I was at. And that's kind of just the, I understood grace. I studied grace. I thought about grace. I knew that I was saved through grace and that was kind of where it lied. But a small tweak after studying for, you know, just a little more in depth is I was reminded that we still have to accept that grace. You know, and I know a lot of people, that's probably not a profound thought to them. Uh, I tend to be late to the game on a lot of things, uh, understanding wise, but accepting grace is such a huge part of it that you can't receive the gift unless you've accepted it. You can't receive the blessing unless you're willing to agree to the terms and conditions. I was having a really lengthy conversation with somebody about how it's difficult to tell people their baptisms were not authoritative when they ask about, well, can I partake of the sacrament? It is always a really uncomfortable conversation. I've always just been like, okay, maybe I won't invite friends the first Sunday yeah. of the month and we'll just start, you know, two through four, maybe five occasionally, but never, never the first one. But it was, they explained it in a way that was really clear and made a lot of sense to me. And they used it through the lens of the old Testament that the Passover lamb or the Passover meal, the festivities, everybody was invited. Everyone could join, could partake in the festivities of the Passover, but only the Jews could partake of the Passover meal, the Passover supper. Christ being our sacrifice, our Passover sacrifice, we're partaking of his meal, his body, his blood on these times. And we are the ones who can partake of it. And so it seems slightly callous. And this is where I'm I like to think I'm a little empathetic. And so it stinks saying, well, you can't do it. I, I don't like saying, telling people no, but the implications of what happens if they partake unworthily are, you know, pretty big eating and drinking damnation to their soul. It's a pretty big responsibility, but telling them they can come and they can join. And if they want to take the sacrament that bad, we've got a whole lesson ready for them <laughs> and they can do it, but they just have to accept these certain things to be able to do it. So it's, it's not really that, that drastic of a, of a concept. If you want to do anything, you have to like, there's rules and set before there's promises and gifts throughout the scriptures. And this is no different that if you do this, you can do that. And it, you know, like with tithing, if you do this, you will receive this. If you obey your parents who live long and uh, have a great life. But that made a lot of sense to me in terms of grace, receiving the gift. Although that's not to say people who aren't part of our church don't have that grace, but applying that to something that that's bothered me or not bothered me, but it's been difficult to explain has been, has been really cool. I'm going to, I'm going to open the floor up to every, like Andrew and Jason, you guys can hop in here too on this one, but along that difficult to explain, do you think we in the church have missed great? Like I've never heard a sermon preached on, on just grace. Like it's always been, you know, you're saved by grace and that's like 
maybe three minutes of it and then it's more endure to the end like that's the focus and I don't mean maybe that's not everybody's experience in, in the church, but um, do you think we've missed something in grace or we do ourselves a disservice with grace? Because here I don't mean to take up even more time, but my impression, like my impression of grace before kind of looking into it was like it was the green flag at the start of the race uh-huh. and it didn't do anything. I was like, OK, it, it just said now it's possible. Like that's the only is it actually doing anything <laughs> well, like, just get the green flag out of the way and let me go anyway, even though that's that's probably not. And we're going to talk about that more, I guess. But what are your guys' thoughts on has the church done a good job of teaching grace or preaching grace or understanding grace? I guess to a certain extent, um, we, we definitely have a somewhat of a fundamental understanding of grace in that, you know, Christ came for us. It was a act of grace for him to die on the cross. And now, you know, through him, we're able to be in the presence of God. But at the same time, we definitely focus on what we should be doing outside of that grace and and not necessarily understanding the totality of how that grace applies to our everyday life and how much of grace is happening every day and you know kind of repentance and uh, stuff like that i don't think we fully understand the role that grace has in our lives besides the ultimate sacrifice that has happened for us the only way i can think about it is is uh, an example we've used before, and it's one we use when we go to other countries or, or just in home visits where they want to hear about salvation and we talk about grace, is that we've, I think, used the example before, so I won't go through the whole thing, but long story short, um, there's an analogy of a man who falls in a pit and we are that man like uh, who've fallen and sinned and stuff. And so um, we say that he calls for the father. Um, the father comes over and he's like, oh, I'll go get a rope. And there's nothing that we did to deserve that rope. And in fact, we actually did the opposite because we fell down. <laughs> we didn't do anything in service of the father. And uh, and yet he still gives us that rope. And um, and so it, going back to what Sam said, I that is kind of like the green flag when he when he gives us the rope that is a cue for us to start working but it doesn't lessen its importance as we get closer to the top because as soon as that rope disappears we're at the bottom again and and so i yeah i never really thought about it that way that it's like the green flag at the beginning of a race but it's also it's kind of like a a, you punch in on your way to work almost kind of thing like hey this is what makes your actions worthwhile because if you do work while you're not on the clock, then you're not going to get paid for it, you know? And this is kind of one of those things where Jesus has said, okay, you can get, your actions are worthwhile. I mean, before there was no chance at repentance. So, well, there was really no point to do what God wanted because you weren't going to be with them anyway, but now you can. So, I mean, it's a cool way of thinking about it. And, and building on the well analogy, um, we have this rope and, we're called to climb up using that rope. We we're not supposed to build another ladder and because we can't in this well, that doesn't have anything. Uh, so in, in our own ability, we can't get out of that well without first that rope coming down. And then that's what we have to fully rely on to get out of that. Well, but. and to Sam's point about how we 
because I agree. I, I, we haven't heard a lot of sermons about grace. And it's exactly what you guys are saying, that it's almost a, a it's so necessary for everything else that we're like, OK, here's the point. Let's go. But it doesn't lessen it. If you sit there and think about, you know, the miracle of creation and the process that the earth went into to become the earth and the process of us becoming created and the everything about us from our eyeballs to our skin, to the, our lungs, to the atmosphere, to the ground beneath our feet. Is miraculous. It's insane. But I don't sit there and think on a regular basis, man, I'm glad that gravity's working or friction is allowing me to walk, or I'm glad that the chemical composition of the air is just the right balance of oxygen and everything else that I can breathe. Mm-hmm. And so we, we tend to move forward without that every day being the thing that we think about, because it's like, that's a given. We all understand this has happened. But I think there's also something else that goes with that. And this, I'm not going to sound jaded. But there's a little bit of a jaded mentality that I think, in my opinion, has led to maybe us not talking about grace as much because there's two reasons, in my opinion, why. And one of them comes out of the epitome of faith. It says, we believe that through atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So we believe it doesn't just stop with grace. You know, grace is the ticket through the door, but you have to do something Or like, you know, it says you can fall from grace. You can, that grace can be rescinded if, you know, you do enough X, Y, or Z or, you know, the specific things that happen have to happen. And that's probably a different discussion, but that's our mentality because it's true. You know, you can't just rest on grace. Like you can't just rest on, okay, the foundation's been built. We're good. It's a really nice foundation. You know, the walls, windows, doors, lights, everything else that'll come later. I'm sure, you know, but I'm just going to sit here on this foundation. So our core belief is that you have to drive. Uh, In Romans chapter six, Paul talks about leaving your old man behind, you know, that grace of you can now leave your old man behind, you know, the the simile of death being buried and resurrected just after Christ, uh, just like Christ. You know, so we have that foundation of grace, but also this is a speculation of mine. There's a lot of bleed over from when Joseph Smith first received the revelations that he received. There's a lot of carry through, even, I mean, almost 200 years later of, yeah, but those other guys, they didn't believe in God speaking to man today. They didn't believe in angels visiting the earth. They didn't believe in X, Y, and Z. And so we look at these people who are like, yeah, but you know, grace alone, once saved, always saved. I'm like, we can't dare have anybody think we're like them. So I think another portion of it has been that we're trying to differentiate ourselves still. And we're concerned about appearing to be that which we, I mean, for a better term, think we're better than. Because we have the fullness of the gospel. We can't appear to be like these people who don't understand after grace, you know, more things happen. And Paul even says, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, (laughs) but we try to to differentiate ourselves in that same way that, you know, like we don't always have a lively music. Personally, I get a little uncomfortable around it, but I know there's people who, who want it, but we won't, we don't really want to do it. Cause it's kind of weird to us that we like our Protestant structure. And I like just sitting there quietly. You're not going to catch me saying anything above, you know, my voice. I say amen a lot, but I say, Amen. <laughs> or I'll, I'll kind of give a little, little gentle fist bump in the, in the pew, but I'm not going to stand up and shout because that's yeah. what the weird people do. <laughs> but I think that in my opinion, that's also kind of why we don't talk about grace and we're, we're almost hesitant 
because we're like, okay, if I only preach about grace, if I only talk about how incredible grace really is, people are going to think I've gone mainstream or I'm like, I've forsaken the whole rest of the gospel. And uh, I think that's kind of an error on our part. And I get where it comes from and I understand it and it, it makes total sense. But I think if we were willing to explore grace a little more and its implications, we might be more willing to see how it applies in our daily lives. Because to a certain extent, I also think we've kind of forgotten how to apply grace to those around us. You know, the the example mm-hmm. that always hits the hardest for me is thinking about um, in marriage. You know, most everybody who's married you're almost always going to have more fights with the person you love most in the world than anybody else. And it's like, why, why do I not have grace for this person who means more to me than anybody else? But if someone bumps me on the sidewalk, I'm going to be like, no, that's not a problem. You know, that's fine. It doesn't bother me, but for heaven's sake, if the toilet seat doesn't get left up or down, or, you know, if the room's not cleaned in a certain way, or, you know, someone puts something back on the wrong shelf, we just can't handle that. (laughs) Well, I'm happy you brought up, you know, it's what we drive with because my analogy of of grace being the green flag that said go and then it was over is is i think not full it's it, and now i really feel like it's the gas that makes the car go it's like it has to be applied and i'm actually gonna so one of my research tools was a or things i listened to was a sermon by a man named brad wilcox and i'm leaning a lot on on his interpretation of this he's from the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints so he's he's lds but i think he put it um put it wonderfully when and he he did a good job of um if you want to look it up it's called his grace is sufficient by brad wilcox but he did a good job of like what you said we're so hesitant to talk about grace because that makes us too similar to other denominations that we might not agree with a hundred percent and, and walking that line. Um, but he talked about how, you know, he had students come to him and would be like, you know, I don't understand grace because I get that I have to do my best. And then Jesus does the rest, but I can't even do my best. Like that's just the thing that happens. And, uh, you know, he had another person that said, I do my part or when I'm worthy, Jesus helps me out and grace and I work together. And he was like, no, 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 that's all. That's all wrong. He's like, you don't, you don't do your part. And then Jesus does the rest. Jesus already did it. Like he paid, he paid the price. He made the sacrifice. Yeah. He did everything. You're not going to help him win in his battle against, you know, darkness or, you know, you're, you're not, you're not that guy. What it's like, though, and and this analogy, I think, is so cool. I also have to shout out Brett Smith because he's the one who who gave me the the link to the video and talked about it. But he made an analogy to a mother who pays for her children's piano lessons and she pays the teacher in full, says, I want you to teach my my child piano. Now, the child can go to piano practice but the child starts to practice and the mom demands that practice and demands, you know, you know, you're going to your lessons and you go to your recitals. None of those, none of the practicing, none of the recitals, none of learning new songs pays the mom back at all. It doesn't. That debt was already paid. But the mom can demand something from the child because she paid for it. And like us trapped in the bottom of the well or trapped in our sin, Jesus paid it all. There's nothing we can do. We can't build our own ladder out of the well or out of the pit or out of sin. We can merely 
follow what he's asked of us now that he's paid off. And he's asked us to follow his commandments and he's asked us to follow him, take up our cross. And I really like how he, he put it. He said, you know, Jesus didn't do us a favor when he came and he died for us. He just invested in us. That's what it was. We're like that. And that speaks to maybe other denominations who are, you know, once saved, always saved or, or their thoughts of grace did everything. It was like, wow, this Jesus guy is great. He, we were going to die. And then he, be in hell forever in flames. And then he came and died for us. And now we don't have that. Like we're good, but Jesus did save us. He saved us from hell, but he also saved us for something. And that was that we could be like him, that way we could be like the father and glorify him. Um, and I don't mean to again, take up all the time. Cause I'm very happy to have Josh here and, and his, but I like what you say, th- there's nothing we can do to earn it. Like we understand that there's nothing we can do to earn grace, but when we let his grace work in us, that's what powers the car driving, or that's what powers our actions until that grace is working with us all the time. Yeah. And in that sermon by Brad Wilcox, he also says that when you know, people outside of our denomination will ask him, like, are you saved by grace? He's like, absolutely. Yes, I am saved by grace. And then he's like, but then I ask them a question that throws them off guard. And it's like, are you changed by grace? And, and, and that's the big question that we have to face is because this has already happened. The battles won. Christ died for us. We are saved. What are we going to do in response and be in that presence of the father and uh, how, how comfortable will we be in that presence? Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit and we talked a little bit about comfort and that's how, you know, the end time or not in times, but our punishment, not our punishment or our reward. I don't know what the, the consequence of our actions is where we are most comfortable. That's God's not going to put us in a place we don't deserve that we haven't chosen. And I was thinking about this on the way this morning and I was kind of like, oh, you know what? I think, I think I got it. And it's kind of an outdated example now because the Patriots are out of the playoffs and they're terrible. You know, they're the <laughs> NFL's villain, but you can't deny that they had a, had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> now that it's over, I can deny. <laughs> um, they, and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were a huge part of that team working together. But what's not so talked about a much is the Patriots have a culture, have a, a set of rules that if, you know, and they win a lot. They usually win a lot. And you as a free agent, if you're a football player, can say, oh, I want to win a lot. But sometimes that winning comes with a cost. Like Tom Brady does not make nearly as much money as a lot of the other superstar quarterbacks. He takes that pay cut because that's the culture of New England. You are not important. You're just a chess piece that can use the whole team success. And it's kind of like that with... um with grace, we have this grace and it demands a culture where we let it work in us and become more comfortable with the father. We come closer to him and until we become exactly what he wants, you know, eventually until we're perfected. Um, but we also have that choice when we're saved by grace to not accept that culture because there's football players that are like, no, I want as much money as I want or, you know, I'm going to want the ball more. So I want to go to a team that's, you know, I can be selfish with the ball and they go to L.A. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there's another there's another verse that Paul uses in First Corinthians uh, 15, 10. And I'm going to flip to that real quick. Um, 10 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. So 
Paul talking here, he's basically like that grace was paid. And it for me, it wasn't in vain. Like I took that investment and I did as much as I could with it because then he kind of brags on himself. And, you know, you got the other apostles there, but he's like, for I labored more abundantly than they all. And you got to think if you're like Peter reading that, you're like, OK, Paul. <laughs> OK, um, yet not. I never even met Jesus. Yeah. Come on, let's not forget who's the Gentile here. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, he was a Jew, actually. But Paul, was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a Saul Paul. No, no, no. Yeah. Right. Nope. <laughs> but by the grace of God, which was in me. And, and we talk about, you know, Jesus saved us for something. And we, as, as, as people with the fullness of the gospel know that there's a, there's a heaven on earth establishment called the kingdom of God. And then eventually Zion. Um, and we're called to that. And, and we, we want to be comfortable in that culture. And we're only going to be comfortable if we're letting that grace, grace work in us. And if we, start to, you know, lose sight of, of grace. And this is why I think it's so important that we talk about grace and bring it more to the forefront is there's people who quit or who get discouraged because they don't understand grace. Like how many, again, to mention his sermon, he talked about guys who would, who would sin, you know, young men, and they'd be like, oh, I'm never going to sin again. Like, I'm not going to do that sin again. And then they do it again. Psych. Yeah. <laughs> and then they say, okay, this is like, you know, someone would call them on their sin or their parents would be like, Hey, you know, and they'd be like, all right, I'm ne- God, I'm never going to do that sin again. And then they'd sin again and they just get so discouraged and they'd say, you know what? I can't do that. This. this is too hard because they didn't understand grace. Um, and maybe that's totally foreign to what that viewpoint of, of what grace is working through you is. I don't, did you feel like you had that same connection when you were studying grace and more or less, maybe it's completely out of left field and I'm no, wrong. On absolutely. Anything, but. Because I found that when we're looking at the people who understood grace, the best in the scriptures and really in, in modern day, they're the people who've experienced the most por- the biggest portion of it and going to the, you know, the, the example of falling in a pit, the people who had a bigger pit to fall into, they appreciate the rope <laughs> a lot more because they're like, looking and it's taking you know, 10 or 15 seconds to drop down to where they are. And you're never thinking you're going to get up there. You're never thinking you're going to see the rope versus if your pit's only like a foot deep, you're like, Hey, thanks for the hand up. You know, I, yeah. I don't have to use my knees, but if you're, if you're like all the way at the bottom, you know, you're actively not just persecuting Christ church, but you are killing them in Jerusalem. And then you're like, you know what? That's not enough. I'm going to go to everywhere else. I'm heading to Damascus and I'm going to murder them there too. Like, that's the kind of thing where he was out of, he was doing a lot of things with the right intentions, but he's still like doing a lot of wrong things. And when the Lord stopped him and said, why are you persecuting me? And I'm talking about Paul, Saul, that is, he understood grace because he had received so much more of it. So to your point that, that the gas and everything, the people who have had to experience or they've done things, they've fallen away, they've they've shaken their life up, and then the Lord has come to them in a strong way, they're refilled, they're full of vigor and talking about how awesome this grace is because they received so much from it. Now that's in no way disparaging people who have not sinned heavily or, you know, haven't walked that same path because that's I think there's a whole nother set of uh rewards for them. But that's what drives people when they become converts. That's why a lot of the people who have those huge conversion testimonies, they usually stick around a little longer than some of the people who are like, you know, what you said makes sense. 
I'm going to believe what you believe because you're a good person. I believe what you said, but they haven't experienced it in their life yet. Um, and I, I know it, you hear that at camps all the time, like, what's your testimony? And then you hear these like insane testimonies of like 30 angels came out of the sky and formed a circle around us and stuff like that. And then you're like, well, one time, I don't know how I lost my keys or I was sick <laughs> and I prayed and it, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so like you kind of like, oh, my testimony is never going to be that great. But there's something else that drives them. But speaking from experience of someone who did a lot of falling and had a pretty deep pit to climb out of when the Lord dropped that rope and brought me up, that's what drove me for till now. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, it's just been this vigor that I can't deny. I can't shake and I can't deviate from because the Lord extended so much grace to me. It would be ridiculous of me not to extend it back. And I think as a whole, as a church, that's kind of, I think kind of why we stop at, okay, we're acknowledging that grace is really cool and grace affected us because that's the pattern of the gospel. You receive, then give, receive, then give as much as possible. But the people who have experienced these things like Alma and the sons of Mosiah, they went out of their way to destroy the church. And they even compared it to murder later. Like I murdered these people. They didn't physically murder them, but they led them astray. And that grace came and very similar to Saul slash Paul had this crazy experience where he's like, am I dead? <laughs> Who knows? You know, and they're just in this limbo. They're like not doing great. And then the Lord's like, okay, now that you're done being you know, punished, stand up and let's go, let's hit the streets. And they didn't just go and they rectify their sins and call that good. You know, Paul didn't just go talk to the people, you know, by the family of Stephen or whoever, you know, you talk to, he wasn't just like, Hey, my bad. I figured it out. I'm actually a pretty big believer myself now. You know, he didn't just leave it there. How disappointing that would have been. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, hey, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Um, but he took that and he used it as the driving force. Same with Alma and the sons of Mosiah. They looked at that and they said, we cannot bear the thought of a single soul going through like what we just found out is pretty bad. And then they took that and they said, man, who needs that the most? Oh, the people who want to kill me. Let's go. And they had these insane miracles and everything. And as a kid, I remember reading these stories thinking, that's really crazy. I probably am never going to get a point <laughs> in my life where I'm like that. And then as an adult, the Lord's like, hey, read a couple of verses after that. After they do all those miracles, it's through much prayer and fasting and study. And it's like, whoa. And full disclosure, I haven't hit that point um, because clearly my prayer, prayer and fasting life and study hasn't been what it needed to be. But those people who have that, that grace applied to them, I found are usually the biggest advocates for the gospel. They're the biggest advocates for the church. You, they're usually the people who go on to become really like passionate missionaries or like whatever, because they've had this life and they can connect to people and through, you know, camps and stuff, we'll have kids come to us. We're like, Hey, you know, I've been into a lot of rough stuff and you're like, don't tell anybody, but same. And then you can connect with them and have a really strong connection where you're not condoning or advocating what you're, what they're doing, but you're telling them that that's not the bottom of the pit, you know, that they can still climb up. They're not stuck there. Yeah. They're doing the wrong things, but they can climb up out of the muck that they found themselves in. And, and for me, that's what grace is so beautiful. And every Sunday, well, every first Sunday of the month, I should be remembering it a lot more, but I made it a practice that when I take the bread, I don't just chew it up and swallow it. I let it get to this really gross consistency. That's a byproduct, but I just sit there in my mouth, let it sit in my mouth. And I, I think about what it represents. And I think about the sacrifice that Christ made for me. 
And I can't ever think of that without getting really teary eyed and sitting there and people are probably thinking, man, that guy's having an experience. And I am I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about the love that Christ had for us, that he took on all of that. It wasn't fun. He didn't even want to do it. He <laughs> said, Lord, Father, take this cup from me, if you will. But if not, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's the thing that like that spirit carries through everything that happens everything in our lives, we ha- we should be having that same spirit of, well, yeah, I don't really want to stop doing all the things I enjoyed, you know, because most people, they don't do things because they hate it. You know, yeah. a lot of times, you know, the road to alcoholism, alcoholism, although it may be paved with peer pressure, isn't exclusively like, ew, I don't like that flavor. It's like, I like something about this process and I'm going to have to stop it because that's what the spirit's telling me to do. The Lord is just... He's so merciful. And that's the thing I think we 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 feel kind of dumb because some days I just want to get up front and I just want to rant about how beautiful the gospel is, how much mercy and grace I've been given and how I just want to sit there and ramble and, and talk about how excited I am and, you know, how the Lord has touched me and how the Lord has led me. And I want to be so excited. But then I'm like, okay, I need to be reserved. There's adults in this room. (laughs) They like it when you have a structured sermon. They like it when you talk about things that make sense. They don't want to just hear you bumble and ramble about how the Lord's been good in your life, which sidebar, they actually really do. Um, (laughs) Anytime we let decorum fly and I just start sharing testimonies, people, I think they don't get to hear those very often. And so- or enough. Or enough. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah. It's never enough, really. Uh, yeah. Like the sermons that are exclusively testimonies, those are my favorites. And one quick testimony about those kinds of services is I was at a a, a service and a missionary had just gotten back from Africa. And I mean, to this day, I still have no idea what he's talking about uh, <laughs> because he started preaching. And typically, while other people, I almost piggyback off their preparation. So if they're preaching, I'm like, all right, Lord, the spirit's already up there. So let's go ahead and jump into this prayer. <laughs> I have some questions. And so I was sitting there praying to the Lord and we we're talking about, you know, I don't even remember what. And then like, boom, I'm in this like mind journey with the spirit. And I start like weaving through, you know, like the doctor who wobbling around like <laughs> star Wars light speed vision. And I'm sitting there and then the Lord says, Hey, by the way, you're going to leave the country for a long time and go talk to your brother. And I like come out of it, end of the service. I'm like, what, <laughs> how, how did I get here? What just happened? And so I, I leave the service. Cause I'm like, that's huge. He just said a long time, you know, the spirit said you're going to leave for a long time. There wasn't a specific time. And I'm thinking, man, is that like Gary Metzger seven years in Honduras? Or am I looking at like 40 years in the wilderness or like, what, what's this going to be? And I go and talk to my brother, Christopher, because at the time, you know, he was the only person, I think this is why the Lord led me there is he's the only person in my family, immediate family who traveled abroad and who had uh, done anything outside of the U S. And so I went and talked to him and I told him what had happened. And I was all like, when I first started having these experiences, I was like 18, 19 and I was just always jittery. And I'm like, Oh man, I got to tell you what just happened. Cause this has never happened before. And I was just so juiced. Anytime the spirit like came into my life. Cause I mean, before then it had been like a teary eyed at a campfire. And now spirits like in real power telling me divine revelation. That's what happened that night. God told me something that was going to happen. And it did. 
What? That's nuts. But anyway, so I was talking to my brother Chris, and I'm all like a million miles, a million words a minute, kind of like I am right now. So I'm gonna take a breath and talk slower. Um, but Jason can edit it and slow it down. Okay, yeah, we'll just slow mo me real quick. Yeah. So the Lord led me to my brother, and he I tell him what happened, and he says, "Well, you know, there's gonna be two things that's gonna happen to you when you leave wherever you go." It's like, you're either going to die or you're not. And I don't know. That was oddly comforting. Uh, I made the mistake of telling my mom that verbatim and she didn't think it was as comforting as I did. But he also, you know, gave me some counsel about preparing and asking the Lord, because just like with grace, that experience had happened and it was awesome. And the spirit manifested itself on me and revealed cool things to me. But now I had to do something. I couldn't just sit there and say, okay, neat. All right. I am going to leave the country for a while. Who knows how long? Uh, Maybe I should talk to my brother, Chris, at some point. And like, and if I just left, I would have completely wasted this gift that was given me. And so I went and talked to Christopher and my parents hate when we call him Chris. So Christopher and, uh, he pointed me in the right direction and I took his advice and there was, I was pretty new to fasting cause I'd been converted to the gospel at 18 and now I'm like 19, 20 ish and trying to figure this out. And the thing that always kept on, we would do at my house. So I was living with some friends or with my siblings and we'd have friends over all the time. And we decided, Hey, let's do a group fast, you know, 24 hours. <laughs> I don't like how that sounds. Yeah. And so we do 24 hours and then we're like, let's do 48 hours. And so we did a 48 hour one and I had learned in high school that, you know, fasting wasn't just not watching TV. It wasn't just like abstaining from a snack or two. It was not no food and covering your mouth. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to really sacrifice on this one. No water either. And I'm a thirsty guy. I like water. I'm right now like 40 minutes without water. I'm pretty parched. <laughs> but, so like I was sitting there and went 48 hours with no food, no water, just prayer, prayer and study. And I had like a ton of stuff going on in between. And the night, it was, I wanted to end my, my fast. My first meal was going to be the sacrament because I'm pretty big and I like symbolism and I like doing things like that. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Let's do that. So I'm laying down. I just finished my prayer before, before I, I, I went to bed and I, I put my head on the pillow and it was just the weirdest timing. I mean, it was like movie timing where I'm like closing my eyes and I get this text that says, Hey, they're looking for some guys to go to Mexico. Are you in? So obviously let's do this. And it turned out to only be 10 months, which is, I mean, great for everything else. That's cool that I still had to act in faith, but the Lord was kind enough to let me come home, you know, before all my nieces and nephews were, you know, I had no idea who I was. So they still like remembered me and they still, you know, everyone was the right age. I just missed 10 months. It was like, I, I went to college out of state for a semester or two, but the Lord has just been so good in my life. And I think as a whole, the Lord's been good to us all in a lot of different ways. And when I first had these testimonies and this experience, I found myself just like screaming from the rooftops, you guys, you got to try this. You got to have this kind of experience because it's awesome. So, I mean, like when I was converted, the Lord moved a lot of things for me. I was in a really bad state and I keep dancing around it. So I should probably just talk about it. And I will in a moment, but I had experienced all these amazing things. So I was like, guys, you got to do it. Do it exactly like I did. This is the only way because it worked for me. So clearly it's going to work for everybody else. And Jasmine, my, my now wife at the time, girlfriend was like, you know, I don't really like it when you keep telling everyone if they don't have a testimony, you know, they're doing something wrong. Cause I would pretty like, you know, she's objectively lived a tremendous life in terms of following the scriptures and like being faithful and diligent and studying and not deviating from the path. And I was like, 
as wild as I could humanly get just for the sake of doing it. Cause I don't, apparently I just ride highs and right now the highs, of the spirit. And so that's, that's <laughs> the good thing for me is the spirit re- replaced a lot of the things that I was crazy about, but she's like, you know, there's other ways, you know, like there's other testimonies, other, other strengths in the gospel. And that was really important for me to realize because, you know, when we do that, we're alienating a whole group of people who haven't had these mountaintop crazy experiences, but they've just always done what they needed to do. They've just always lived the right life and they've just always obeyed the commandments and they're going to have a, probably a, a better reward than I do because I spent a majority of my life at this point. I know a ripe old age of almost 27, so uh, way older than you guys, <laughs> but I spent 18 of them wild and crazy doing whatever I felt like doing. And also that's a joke. I That's in the grand scheme when I'm like a hundred Hopefully, um, when I'm dying, that, you know, that'll only be less than a quarter of my life. So, right. Uh, but if anyone knows who I am, they know my family. Um, like we're umpteenth generation that I'm aware of in the church on my mom's side, on dad's side, we're just like second generation. You know, he was, he had an uncle that was in the church and then no one really in his family was in the church. So he was like that first generation of his family that was like, we're doing this. And he went all in and he had a lot of really cool experiences that I'm not going to go into because I'm already talking too much, but I was raised with those principles behind, like, you know, we're legacy RLDS. This is how we do things. My grandpa was like, at the time was just, I know everything about creationism kind of guy. Like he just, he was a missionary. He was cool. He did a lot of great things. And we had this distinguished pedigree in the church and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take that and I'm going to run it through the mud as long and hard as I can, because that sounds fun to me. So I did everything humanly possible to like just disobey. Thankfully, the Lord was like, hey, the one thing I don't think you should probably get into is drugs. And that's really helped me later on in life when like, you know, I go for a, a job interview. And like, have you ever done drugs? I'm like, no. And they're like, not even marijuana? I'm like, nope. And not for lack of trying, but the Lord just stopped me. And he's like, you're not doing that one. That's it. Like everything else you can be as dumb as you want. Cause you know, you shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. But for some reason, the Lord gave me the sense to stop at illicit substances, um, for some reason. So I'm really grateful for that one, but I spent a long time rebelling and doing horrendously stupid things for, from like third grade through 18. So what I, however old you are in third grade, all the way to my 18th birthday, nine, nine. Wow, that's a long time. Okay. So I was really dumb for a while and just off the cuff. And I stayed in Liahona because my parents were the directors. And so through middle school, I just helped out at Liahona because I was really fat and really shy. And I was like, I can't go to these big kid camps because they're going to ruin my life. Like, I just knew it. I walked in and they're like, that guy's the one we're going to make fun of for a week. So I stayed in Liahona until, uh, Matt, um, excuse me, until I transferred to CPRS freshman year and finally hit that growth spurt between eighth grade and freshman year. And was like, okay, I'm not as fat, I'm not skinny, but I'm not as fat. <laughs> so I finally felt confident enough to go to adult camps. So I started going to mammoth camp. And, you know, every year, anytime you go to any of those types of camps, you just, you come back super pumped, super invigorated, uh, ready to serve the Lord. And I remember one year we went straight from mammoth camp to boy scout camp. Um, I'm a boy scout where that one, uh, how, however you feel like, uh, <laughs> me too, <laughs> judging on that one, good or bad, but we took it to scout camp. And I mean, we were like singing hymns in the showers. We're like, everywhere we go, we're just singing camp, campfire songs and hymns and like, the spirit was strong at Boy Scout camp. And it's like, not like the spirit can't be at Boy Scout camp, but it was like Mammoth 2.0 and it was amazing. And then Mammoth camp ended. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that, 
substance is like. Or I wonder what that kind of form of disobedience, because it really, you could insert any of them. And I'm like, that sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) And just immediately right back into being a knucklehead, right back into doing whatever I felt like doing, because it was fun to disobey. And we come into our final year of camp. And I mean, just dragging a terrible spirit with us, like just awful, awful spirit where there was a lot of language happening in my super cool minivan that we were driving down in as I got pulled over and we were all really mad. And so we said a lot of things that we shouldn't have said, and we were doing a lot of things we shouldn't have done and arriving to this church camp, completely contradictory to what was happening there and the preparation the staff had made. And I just like imagine in the spiritual realm, just seeing this like festering cloud of darkness approaching this <laughs> campground of light and, you know, the, the spirit, the angels that the priesthood had asked to <laughs> patrol the camp. Like, uh, <laughs> I guess we're working overtime this week. You know, so they, they immediately started, you know, undoing what we had done. And it's just hilarious because all the whole way down there, we're like, no matter what this year, we're not converting. We're not going to feel the spirit. We're just going to have a good time because Mammoth Camp is cool. It still is. Shout out RCI Mammoth Camp. <laughs> Look up the dates. Uh, but like, I mean, there was guys from all, like we had guys from Mexico City. You had Dean Odita from, you know, he's currently in Kenya. And like you had so many just awesome people you don't get to see. And there's people from all over the U.S. And it was just such a cool time. And I was adamant that I was not going to reach out to the Lord. But as I've come to learn as an adult, I'm not good at sticking to my guns on things like that. And a friend had asked to be administered to because he had back pain. And I wanted to go because even though I didn't want to experience it, I was still wanting to be a supportive friend because like that's just was my thought process. We have to support each other no matter what. They were going to be nice and not try to push religion on me because I was a newfound, not religious person. So uh, I wasn't, you know, going to just completely disregard that it mattered to them. And I missed it by like 30 minutes. And everyone coming back was like, dude, that was such a good spirit in that, in that service. Like the Lord was there. And I remember just thinking, ah, dang it. <laughs> and even though I'd already like, I mean, it, it took less than like 12 hours basically before I was like, hmm, Lord, are you there? <laughs> yeah. So like the Lord immediately used my fickle nature to turn me into wanting to talk to him. But being the Lord... And knowing who I was, I needed a longer, harder lesson because for me to affect real change, I have to have some real adverse effects first. Um, Otherwise, I'm like, well, it worked fine last time. (laughs) So I started fasting and praying. And I was like, all right, I already know this is the key. This is it's everywhere in the scriptures. You know, it's in our song. Zion's coming, you know, pray fast, study for endowment for endowment. I'm ready. We're doing this. They already told me six times how to get to the Lord. I'm going to I'm going to meet him this week. And of course, in my long-term patient thought process, I'm like, three days is enough. (laughs) So three days, maybe three meals worth of fasting and like a cumulative 45 minutes of scripture reading. I was like, nailed it. Ready for the (laughs) Lord to talk. Let's go. And what I'm being lighthearted about is all around me, though, the camp hit its tipping point on Tuesday. The point it usually hits Friday night at the dedication service landed Tuesday night at campfire. And so we're at this like boiling point of emotion in the spirit. And I'm watching everybody around me like ugly crying. Like we're just like everyone's at that point where you're like belly weeping and you're like so gracious that the spirit has come and manifested himself to you. And you're like feeling so unworthy. And I'm just sitting there like, I see that you're doing that. That's neat. Uh, I'm just a stone in this place unaffected. And also being a young man, 
wildly emotional <laughs> as an 18 year old. And so immediately funneled all of that disappointment into pure rage. And we're sitting there in the middle of this service. Uh, it was a talent show turned spiritual, which we hadn't done before. And I was rather disappointed when it happened and just livid. So mad. So I'm like, Lord, I see everybody having these experiences and I want, I'm done. I want to meet you now. Like I'm, I'm ready for it, but you're just not here. And just being a whiny baby. Cause that's what I did. And still do if I'm being honest. And I decided that I was going to be tough and I gave the Lord an ultimatum and learned pretty quickly. You don't do that (laughs) for for obvious reasons. And I, I told the Lord that he had until the next song to, to fill me with the spirit. And the very next song was the commencement song for CPRS graduation bound for greater things. And I remember thinking how little you care about me that this song I've heard a thousand times that's the one you're going to answer my prayer with. And immediately the biggest hand slap across the head drop kick of the spirit where the Lord was just like squishing me between his toes. And like I'm here, feel me. <laughs> and I was just overcome with the spirit. And I just was like puddled on the ground, sitting there in the midst of the spirit, the strongest I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I'm just crying so hard. And so I just, it was just not probably a great experience to look at me experiencing this, but I felt the spirit in a strong way that I'd never felt before. And it was life changing. And I immediately went to my friends and I was like, Hey, I know we said a lot of tough stuff about the Lord (laughs) and what we were going to do about him, but I can't, I'm, I'm done. You know, like it. And then, of course, I was dumb and offered all of my I was like, hey, if you want all the cigars or whatever, you can have them. I'm not going to use them anymore. And that was really dumb. Like, you don't you don't like decide something's bad and like, hey, who wants it? You know, you're supposed to leave and say no more. This is going in the trash. But I was like, man, that was a lot of money. You know, so I, I don't know why I thought that. But immediately next service, I was like, wait, maybe instead of giving him tobacco, I should pray for him to feel the spirit, too. So I started praying for my friend. And we were having a campfire. It was obscenely hot that year. So we had it indoors with just these big old fans and just, it was, it was much nicer (laughs) inside. Um, And I was just sitting there praying and there's a term in the scriptures um, on the book of Mormon where they talk about like praying with the strength of your soul. And I was doing that and I'd never understood it until then, but it was like every fiber of my existence was just screaming, crying out to the Lord for my friend. And I asked that the the Lord would tell him that he loved him and needed him for his service. And I just was like, it was repetitive. I was just on repeat nonstop. And it was like, I was just screaming it, you know, like in the movies when they're doing CPR and they're like, don't die on me, don't die on me. I was doing that. But for my friend and I'm just screaming it, I'm trying to will it into existence. Everything I had in me was tell him what you just told me. So my life was changed. I had this and he was my best friend and I wanted him to have this. And the campfire wraps up and someone walks up to him and they're like, hey, beep, God loves you and needs you for his service. And then someone else does it. Someone else does it. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, God just, I just went from like, God hates me, doesn't love me to like, I definitely know he loves me. I definitely know he cares. And insert immediate answer to prayer in a real way. That was a private prayer. No one else heard that. It's like a blind, blind experiment, right? Yeah. Like no one had any idea this was coming. And then people responded. And so like it took me to pray that and someone else to listen to the spirit and then someone else to listen to the spirit and actually act on it. Because who knows how many people that seed was planted on. But I know there is at least a few people who acted. 
And for me, ever since that was the, that was the catalyst. That was the linchpin for me. That was just, it was all over no matter what, no matter what I do, no matter what the doubts are, I know that God's grace is real in my life because he showed me a mercy that I, I didn't deserve. And I know they're not the exact same thing, but I was given something that I didn't deserve that I asked for, but I had no real reason. I didn't earn it. I can't earn it, but it was given to me. And ever since I've just had no choice. It's not like I start doing, you know, not serving and I feel the Lord cracking the whip or anything, but I just, I'm moved to service. And I think to, I guess, somehow bring this back on topic if possible is that's for us what drives us that we have that grace and it's understood we all have received that grace the grace of christ's sacrifice what it means to us in our own lives whether it's been this insane testimony where you did a lot of stupid stuff and the lord rectified you or you've had a life full of faithful commitment and understanding and obedience to the commandments but we've still received grace in one portion or another. And it's our job to not just sit on it, to not just bury it. But now we have to give this amazing gift to everybody who will take it. Like I don't just shout it in the streets because that doesn't seem to work very well. <laughs> but that's all I want. Anytime anyone asks me what I do, like at work, what do you care about? I'm like, oh prepare for scripture study. You know, I can't do that because they're not going to listen, but the Lord has given me the chance to, to be in people's lives and to try to affect change in that regard. And I'm sure we're probably past the point of needing to stop soon, but I just want to go as much as you want. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's dangerous. We've got (laughs) another one after this. So I won't share everything, but at every job I've worked at, you know, I, I use my dad's example. He taught at the school I went to and him and I would have, you know, it was a 40 minute round trip because we lived in the Kansas city school district and he decided I wasn't going to go there and they couldn't, they didn't have any money to send me to private school. They were already sending my two siblings to hope, uh, you know, RIP hope, uh, but <laughs> they couldn't send me. And so I went to the school my dad taught at, which is 20 minutes away, roughly. And so every morning we'd go, you know, and we'd have a prayer before we left and we'd talk on the way there if I wasn't asleep, which was most of the time. But what I found was at school, before and after school, I would notice his interactions with his teachers or his boss or, um, you know, the students even that would stay after and talk to him and like would come to him for counsel. And he told me one day, he said, I don't tell him I believe in the Book of Mormon right off the bat. So what I do is I prove to them that I'm a Christian. I prove to them that Christ lives in my life, not through my words, but through my actions. Everything I do, I'm doing for their benefit because I want their souls to be saved. And then it'll come up on its own. And when they find out you believe in that devil book, they have to reconcile it in their own lives. How someone they knew for a fact was Christian might not be. So it makes them at least question why they think what they think. And so every job I go to, I don't lead with, hi, I'm Josh. I'm a priest. What's up? Yeah. You know, cause I found the times I have done that. It really freaks people out like big time. And then they spend the rest of the time ignoring me, but instead I let them get to know me. I'll go to wherever they invite me. I'll do anything they ask. I'm there, but I won't be drinking. I won't be cursing and I won't be doing, you know, probably half of what we wind up doing, but I'm there to let them know I love them. 
And what they don't know, because I don't make it a point to tell them all the time, is I'm praying for them on the way to work every day. I'm not as great as I used to be, but I would pray for the people I'd be working for, whether it was on my our you know concrete crew, the job site we were going to. I'd pray for everybody there, pray for the guys I used to work with, pray for the store I was at, the restaurant, the quick trip, whatever. That was my thing is I was going to make sure I upheld them in prayer. And eventually they would say, hey, you know, like my dad's got cancer. Can you pray for him? And then it would build. Like, why do you believe what you believe? Who is God to you? Who's Nephi? (laughs) And we'd have these conversations about God and the Book of Mormon and our beliefs and why I am the way I am. And I'd inevitably get to share with them the testimony that I just shared, where God moved insane mountains for me, broke down these huge walls I'd built up. And they're like, wow, I can have that. And that's, to me, the most important thing is having that grace, but sharing it. Because there's no one in the world that would, like, if I have something that means so much to me, I don't want to keep it to myself. You know, my brother and I, we always talk because we don't play the lottery, but like, man, if we won the lottery, like everybody in our life would just have money. We'd, no one would have a mortgage and they'd all have cars. Whoa, 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 whoa. But we wouldn't want to keep it to ourselves. And if we're talking about an arbitrary financial situation that we're never going to have, <laughs> how much more important it is to this spiritual wealth that we can have right now because the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is reachable. It's a ridiculously easy steps to get there. Have a contrite spirit, a broken heart, aka repent, and be baptized by the water and the fire by someone having the authority to do so. Done. You're in. And then taking that grace and moving forward. And it's just like so simple, but so beautiful. And I think that's part of why we forget about it, because it's just so simple. We learned about it when we were eight. We had Sunday school after Sunday school of Jesus dying on the cross, being born of a virgin, living a great life, dying, resurrecting, coming back sometime, you know, look forward to it. We're we're like, okay, we're there. But we forget, I think, that there are people in the congregation who aren't there. And there are people who need to hear that. And there are people who need to be reminded of it. And the example, last example, and I'm definitely going to stop, I promise, (laughs) is I look at it like math. I'm garbage math okay and so like most people in the room they're like okay two plus two four gotcha i'm the kind if i saw that on a test i'm like let's see what the old t190 has to say about this and what's my calculator saying so i plug it in because i don't trust my mind when it comes to math i need to be reminded of the basics of math on a very consistent basis but the gospel we look we treat it a lot like how most people treat math i had a teacher in high school who was brilliant and he assumed that i was also brilliant And so when he's teaching these things that like I had trouble comprehending, he's teaching it at a level for smart people. And I was pretending to be a smart person in his class and not adequately explaining, hey, I'm actually pretty dumb. Like I probably shouldn't be in this class. So every once in a while, we as a people need to revisit the basics because there are some of us who are like, yeah, I needed to be in weighted geometry. No, I didn't. <laughs> I needed a remedial version. I needed to learn the basics because I didn't study. I didn't pay attention or I forgot it. And the gospel is just like that. We need to revisit those fundamental foundational parts of the gospel. We need to revisit what does grace mean to us? 
what does Christ's sacrifice really mean? Is he still on that cross? Or is he still in that grave? What are the implications of that? And what does it mean to us on a daily basis? And I think we can do it. And it's really easy. And all we have to do is just be willing to maybe look dumb every once in a while. And I'm okay with that because if you listen to this podcast, you're like, that checks. <laughs> but we just have to, I think we just have to give it a shot. Go back to the basics and we'd find out it's a lot cooler than we give it credit for. One of our friends has this analogy, and I know we've used a lot, but this is going to be the last one I present, is uh, that he likes to say, um, you can only turn a boat once it starts moving. And um, the question I would ask you is, uh, and, and you've alluded to it, and I think we all have, is that do you feel like God has, has directed you more after you've started moving? forward oh 1000 percent. yeah there's there's I'm, i guess that's not accurate 100 percent. uh there is no way that like when i was doing nothing the lord's like yeah you deserve it <laughs> you're at a point in your life well you'll treat this gift well you know i i definitely think he waited until i took those steps because i mean in my like what i was saying is i i was fasting and praying and studying and i was actively reaching out and i was doing it with the wrong intent but you know, I was making the right steps and that's when he was willing to move the boat. Something I was thinking of when you were sharing your testimony was you're sitting there and you're feeling like God hates you, but it's like his grace was still given to you, even though you thought he hated you. And then you made this action to try and let him into your life and kind of see what he could do with you. And that's when you were able to recognize that grace because he's like, oh, well, now that you're asking, this is what I have for you. And I just think that's a awesome thing to think about that the grace is already there and we just need to see what that means in our own lives. Show commitment to the issue and yeah. it'll follow through, you know? Yeah. So what advice would you give to, to people that haven't necessarily experienced that that mighty change the scriptures might say, or the haven't seen grace moving in their life. Like you got to see. That's a tough one. Uh, when I was like 18, I would have been like, I would have told everybody just to go to camping and have one. Cause you know, that's what I you. Did. it definitely worked. <laughs> but I think if you want to have that kind of an experience, you have to diligently search it with everything you have. And it can't just be, um, it, it can't be like a new year's resolution. You know, for me, I'm always like time to get on the ball about, you know, losing some weight and I'll be good for like about it for like six months or something. And then it's just falls off if, if six months, you know, and it's not something that's real to me. It's more just like, okay, I know I'm going to die early if I stay fat kind of thing. It needs to be every day you wake up and your whole heart yearns for this. Like this is your mission. This is what drives you in the morning. This is what help keeps you up at night. When you're praying to the Lord, you're crying out with the strength of your soul. Meet me, show me, teach me. And you have to be willing to learn and you have to be willing to do the things that are uncomfortable to get to that point. Um, and just small steps are all it takes, like legitimately choosing a day. I'm like, you know what? Every day this week, like every Wednesday, I'm going to fast breakfast, lunch or dinner. Start there. Every day I'm going to read like six verses. Start there. Every day I'm going to pray for like two people. 
Awesome. Start there. And then just bit by bit, the Lord is, he get, he holds on to his end of the promises. And I can't, I'm not going to say that everyone can have the exact same experience I had because the problem was I required, I was heading off in a wrong direction so forcefully, I required a forceful misdirect in the opposite direction or redirection. So if you're not at that point, <laughs> praise the Lord <laughs> that you're not uh, dumb. Or, I'm sorry, that's really rude. You're not making the same mistakes I made. There we go. Um, and take advantage of that. You know, for me, it took really agonizing days. Like I had to really, I spent a long time feeling pretty beat up, massively beat up. And you can avoid feeling like that. So start small, be dedicated and organized. I'm terrible at organization, but George Thomas showed us this graph one time where he made a, <laughs> It was an Excel sheet, but on a non-lined piece of paper where he had just drawn with a ruler and made an Excel sheet. But it was 1 through 30 or 1 through 31 days of the month. And then on the left side was just your goal for that day. Pray, study fast, talk to someone about Christ, whatever it is. Check off. Did you do it? And the craziest thing is most of those you can do right before you go to bed. If you're like, oh, man, I forgot to pray today. <laughs> done. I forgot to fast. Okay. Maybe you can't quite do that one then, but you can sure study. So yeah. He taught, he taught the same thing. Cause we did that same thing in the internship. He came in and taught. And I think the thing that surprised me most was like in your mind, you're like, Oh yeah, I need to, I need to do that. But then you have that, you know, the day, the month there with the 31 lines and you really realize, Oh, I haven't prayed about this in a week and a half now, or I haven't read my scriptures in two weeks and here I am thinking I track it. And then it keeps you, it's a really smart, it's yeah. a really smart tool, but then you, you start to realize it reminds you and you're like, no, I did that. I did. That. And you feel good when you check it off the list oh, yeah. too. But you, inevitably you're going to find out, wow, my spiritual condition has gotten infinitely better and I have testimonies I might not have had and just share the gospel. So that's the last piece of it. Start small, gain a foundation, and then share it. Whatever you know, share it. And don't be afraid to say, I don't know. That's where we get in trouble. If someone asks us a tough question and we're like, well, um, <laughs> and we don't give them a straight answer. And they're like, knew it, Christianity's fake. Christ is fake. You know, it was just, he's buried off by Jerusalem, you know, blah, 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 blah. If you just said, I don't know, let me get back to you. Went and found someone who knew, asked them, hit them back with the next question. They might be aggressive. They might be looking to start a fight, but you're going to give them the right answer. So just try really. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes is just effort, but actual effort. It can't just be, it can't stay. Pardon me. I want this to happen. It has to increase. And the scriptures tell us just having the desire to desire is the starting point. It's all it takes for the spirit to start working with you. It's just wanting to want. That's such a low level of effort. I can't really comprehend it. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, like I wish I wanted that, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, what? That's a really weird request, but that's all it takes to start. And then just baby steps more and more. Take those six verses to 10 and then turn it into 15 minutes a day. Fasting two meals, three meals, six meals. Fast as much as you can. Pray as much as you can. Like going from God help my friends and family to help person A with problem X and like getting really specific and becoming a servant. And I know this isn't a clear cut advice, but just try start somewhere and just try. And if you don't have success 
talk to me and tell me why. And, you know, maybe the next time I'm not on this podcast, because I'm not asked back, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll start my own and I'll tell everybody how I messed up. <laughs> However, that's not going to happen because the Lord works in the exact same way today as he always did. And he's going to work with you the same way he worked with me. I don't mean to jump in on this answer, but I, I feel like this ties in really well to your answer and it just comes from the mouth of Jesus. So it's good to hear in the analogy or the um, story of the prodigal son, you know, you you can look at his life, uh, but really focus in on where change happened in him. And um you know, like he's in this place where he lost all his money. He doesn't have anything left. He's eating with pigs and his want to want to go back to his father's house is that hunger. Like it actually just hungry. He's hungry. And he's like, I just want real food. Please don't give me this slop again. I mean, like I can't handle it. He's wanting the benefits of that father's house um, without wanting, you know, like it wasn't like, oh, man, I messed up. I really want to see my dad. I really want to go spend some time with him. It, it started with that just hint of a desire that's like, this is where I can get something positive in my life. Hmm. And then as soon as his father sees that he made the minutest effort in his way back to his house, the father runs as fast as he can out to that son. And I guarantee you, it doesn't say obviously, but I guarantee you they both walked back faster than the son was walking up, you know, because the joy he felt when he saw his father coming to him was undescribable. I mean, like he thought he was going to go back there and his dad was like, yeah, but I'm not paying you really well. (laughs) I mean, like you can be a servant, but I, you're going to be the worst servant, you know, like you're last in line for whatever there is. But when he saw his dad, it threw all of that fear away. And it's the same thing Josh was talking about in his testimony is, is that that joy that when God says, Hey, I'm here. It's just that joy that you're like, Oh my gosh, there is a God in this place that knows I've messed up that knows exactly how much I have given up already. And yet he is still making this incredible sacrifice just so that I can get, just so I can have the choice to get back to him. And I, I just love that. And so sorry to steal Josh's answer, but I felt that tied in really, really well. I was looking, I was looking for something cause I thought it drove in your point even more Josh and Andrew did, but I can't, I can't find it. So never mind. <laughs> um, just to wrap things up and, and not quite say goodbye to Josh yet, because we're going to have a second episode and we want him to have some material too to, to speak about then. But we want to thank you just for, for sharing how God's grace has impacted your life and you know, how it can impact others too, if they're willing to give it a shot and, and maybe expounded a little bit on on the scriptures that we don't talk about too much. So we want to thank you listeners for listening and uh, God bless. We'll see you on the next episode.